I, I'm gonna like love to see her reaction here. Oh, uh, oh, is that is that him? Yeah. Whoa, that's <laughs> a beard. Yeah, he hair. is. <laughs> he is like a fully intense person. I've talked to people and like been to lectures um, with people who have bad. met him. Yeah, and apparently he's just like super, like super intense to be around, which makes sense. Like his. His books and novels are very intense. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a fabulous photo, though. Love it. And welcome to the Book Jar Podcast, where both me and my friend Megan discuss book-related news and topics on a bi-weekly basis. How are you today, Megan? I am good. It's my birthday. It's your birthday. So yeah. I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah. Did you like having homework that was due for your birthday? Yep. That's what yeah. I'm used to yeah. in life, you know? <laughs> Just because you have a birthday doesn't mean you're You get excluded. off any of the work yeah. that you have to do, right? Exactly. In fact, you usually have to do extra because, you know, that's how life is. That is how life is. That is how life is. I'm doing great, by the way. I did not ignore that. <laughs> um, I was just delaying it. Um, yeah, so if this is your first time listening to the podcast, uh, thank you so much. Uh, this is how it pretty much works. Each week we pull our next topic from the book jar and discuss it. Uh, So last week, we pulled out a very, very complex uh, topic, thanks Mm -hmm. to uh, Mm -hmm. one of our listeners, Alicia. So thank Mm -hmm. you for the homework, Alicia. Yeah, it was a lot of work. Uh, We are going to get to that in a second. We're going to first talk about our most recent reads. And I think for the first time in history, you have read more books than me. I know. I mean, kudos to me. Good job, Megan. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, So why don't you start? Because you got more to talk about. Okay. (laughs) Um, yeah, so I finished three books. Okay. I mean, the one I was already, like, almost done the last time we got together, but mm-hmm. it was The Dragon Republic by R.F. Kuang, right. which is the sequel to The Poppy War. Yeah. Um, it's good. I think I liked it better because we got to follow the main character, Rin, a little bit more and actually, like, understand her motives and mm-hmm. why she was doing the thing she was doing. Um... It's good. Recommend, obviously. you got to read the first book to understand the second book. Um, so, yeah. Reviews up on Instagram. Cool. Check it out if, you're, if you don't like doing that. There might be some spoilers. I think I tried to keep it as generic as possible, though. Okay. Um, I also read a graphic novel, Monstrous, by Marjorie Liu. Oh, yes. You knew we were talking about that one last time, too. Yes. And who was... It was Santa Takeda is the one who drew it. So, which is important because it's graphic novels, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so what that one's about, and I only read the first volume, I guess is what it's called. Right. Yeah. So, like, the first six chapters of the graphic novel. And it's basically a series set in a matriarchal... Matriarchal? Matriarchal. Matriarchal world. <laughs> Please tell us how to pronounce that. Please. It's a little difficult. Please correct us. <laughs> uh, it's inspired by early 20th century Asia and tells the story of Micah Halfwell, who's okay. a teenage girl who shares a mysterious psychic link with a powerful monster. Um, the background to the story is a war between the Archanics, 
magical creatures who sometimes can pass for human, and the Cumea, an order of sorceresses who consume arcanic, so they eat them to fuel their power. Um, so Micah is an arcanic, so basically looks human, but they're like, have like some animal like qualities to them okay so that's kind of like one of the races in this book um so she looks human and is set on learning about and avenging her dead mother micah's left arm has been severed and a demon zin occasionally emerges from its stub the demon who takes over her body and mind is a source of great power but challenging for micah to understand and control so so fascinating read is very very interesting um it's definitely graphic graphic <laughs> For a graphic novel. Like, it's, it's like, again, beautiful drawings um, and artwork and everything like that. Uh, this is one of my favorite things about graphic novels. <laughs> I think I've mentioned it before, but it's zero to a hundred. It is yeah. either the most innocent, beautiful thing ever, or it is, like, the most dark and twisted thing. I remember I read The Walking Dead, um, the graphic novels. Um, kind of when they were really, really popular, like when the show was just coming out mm-hmm. and like seeing babies being torn apart by zombies. And I was just like, I knew it was going to be like very, very violent and very grotesque, but I like still wasn't quite expecting that. Mm-hmm. And there's like, there's no in between. Like there actually there is an in between, but like. It can be all nice and fine, and then it's also really graphic at parts. So it's it like graphic it's, novels are so fascinating. It's so, and it's just like I don't know. It's kind of funny because you're just like, why can't that just be off off screen or off? Yeah, page? why why did I have to see that? Because <laughs> yeah. like this one for sure definitely has like mention of like killing children and right. stuff like that because yeah. they're like young arcanics and stuff like that that they're trying to like get this power from. So definitely some trigger warnings for sure for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure if I'm going to continue the series or not yet. Just like it has, there's so many volumes, so we'll see. I yeah. liked it, but we'll see. Like it's different for me. I prefer to buy them. There's usually like the little volumes, like you've got here, or they they tend to put several volumes into mm-hmm. one, co- like a little collection almost. And I prefer to read it that way because I find it's just a little bit like more like easier to just read a whole bunch at once and like that's why I just I just got the first volume because I was like I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm gonna enjoy it yeah and I did, wasn't gonna commit to a $60 graphic novel if I like hated it yeah I mean I probably still would have finished it and I everything but yeah now it's like more of a work and I have to be like searching at bookstores for yeah, the next yeah. volume so that's totally. probably like the main reason I might not continue is just the effort the effort, the physical involved. effort of trying to of find trying it, to track them down. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So yeah, something different. If you're looking for a graphic novel, yeah, I might borrow that out. actually. Yeah, for I'd sure. Steal that one. I already got one bit. person reading it, so you know, maybe you as well. And then the last book I finished was Along for the Ride by Mimi Grace, which was like a romantic comedy, trying something you know I don't normally reach for. Um, yeah. And it's. So the summary is when Jolene Baxter offered to help her sister and brother-in-law move halfway across the country, she didn't foresee the last minute changes that would leave her making the journey with the one person she can't stand, Jason Akana. Their interactions are strained from a heated confrontation five years prior, but adding car problems, a pit stop, and sizzling chemistry leaves them rethinking things. <laughs> so it's actually super cute. Like it had a lot of good tropes, like one bed trope. Yeah. 
enemies to lovers trope, um, fake dating trope, Mm -hmm. you know, going on a, um, the road trip. A road trip. Yeah. Yeah, Like all this stuff. So it had a lot of good, like cute romantic tropes. Um, it does contain multiple sex scenes. So if that's not your thing. Don't pick it up. Don't pick it up. But I actually really enjoyed how she wrote those sex scenes. So that's why I kept reading it. Cause I was like, they didn't have the weird terms like you know the weird sexual innuendos or like euphemisms that are like (laughs) just like takes you out of the experience i'm like she didn't have those so i really appreciated that it wasn't like the weird like that's you know like kind of cringy in my opinion when that's the classic like the steel rod or velvet (laughs) rod and every time i'm like i can i actually cannot read this anymore like i can i need to go have a little giggle yeah about the fact that they say that even when they say it out loud I'm like when they say it out loud it's like a hundred times worse because like at least when the author's writing it I'm like you know what there's a stigma around just saying what it is so I get it but like uh, like (laughs) just like the idea of somebody being like "Ooh, your velvet rod I'm just like no how do you say that with a straight face how does that not become a laughing fit exactly and like maybe if they said that and did did laugh about it in the book it'd be more realistic but to me yeah they like take it seriously and i'm like no 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 no. there's not a chance there is not a chance in hell that does not immediately devolve into laughter (laughs) exactly so yeah i thought she did a good job on that anyways all right perfect so three books for you very proud i actually only got through one which was um a little bit in part of um just being had had a little bit of a sickness going on, yes. so I uh, didn't get around to much reading. We also just napped. Um, but yeah, so I, I finished a book that was been on my list for a while, though, so I was happy about that. So I read A Psalm of Storms and Silence by Roseanne Brown. I know I've been talking about this one for yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard for me to get into because it had been a while since I'd read um, the first book of this duology, which was A Song of Wraiths and Ruin. Um, so for those of you who don't know, so Song of Wraith and Rune is the first book. If you haven't read that, this is a little bit of a spoiler here, but, um, in the second installment, um, kind of a mini synopsis is we're following Karina again, who has now lost everything after a violent coup left her without her kingdom or throne. Uh, she's now the, like a very wanted person and her only hope of reclaiming what is rightfully hers lies in a divine power hidden in a long-lost city of her ancestors. Um, Meanwhile, the resurrection of her sister has spiraled the world into chaos with disaster after disaster threatening hard-won peace. Um, And so you're still following um, Malik and Karina through their story, their very enemies-to-lovers romance that is very up and down in this novel, so that was very exciting. Love that. Um, It becomes very clear that they actually have now opened a like psychic link between the two which is so fun I had so much fun with it um I am so impressed with um Roseanne Brown's like way of making that trope like like that feels so fresh and new like I didn't even think of it in terms of any other thing that I had seen and then Afterwards, I was like, oh, it could have felt like, I don't know, like Star Wars or something like that, where you have that like psychic link Mm -hmm. where they're like communicating through this um, 
whatever. And I was like, it didn't feel like that. It felt like completely new and fresh. I absolutely loved it. Awesome. Um, very, very good read. So recommend the series then yeah i'd recommend the whole series definitely check it out um i'd read them a little bit more clo- like closer together than i did mm-hmm. um i read them read the first one when it came out and then i waited on the second one a little bit too long i think um af- even after it had already come out but highly recommend um yeah i would just read them close together if you can because i i definitely was like wait who is this person yeah. and i had to yeah. go back and like look it up which definitely take took away from the novel not by any fault of brown or anyone yeah. but it was really it was a marissa problem not a not a rosanne problem that's fair well yeah. it sounds cool yeah so today's topic is uh we said it was from alicia so she gave us homework which was what are some of the best themes you've read in novels yeah, this is a little challenging. Um, we made the joke, like, did you want MLA format? And I feel like I had to stop myself from writing an essay a couple <laughs> times. So I was like, the thesis statement <laughs> is right here. Um, but I have several that I wanted to talk about. Um, and a couple that I haven't read in, in a few years, which I mm-hmm. thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was actually, like, a really good sign that they had good themes. Um, and I kind of actually, yeah, Mm -hmm. told you that when you were looking for your own, um, kind of books to mention was any, I think any book that stays with you past like a year of reading it has a really great theme. Like there's a reason that it's stuck with you and it's probably not just, although it could be, I've read some really great novels where I'm just like, I just love the character. Like that was it. Yeah. Yeah. I think Sabriel is up there where I just like the character and the plot and the world. Like that's why it stuck with me. But I think there's just like this feeling that I have about certain books where I'm like, I, I could have not read this for 10 years and I will still remember how it made me feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have one of those on my list. Um, it was actually a graphic novel, which is funny that we are talking about how um, violent graphic novels can be. So this is V for Vendetta by Alan Moore. Um, this is kind of a, kind of like a cult classic in the graphic novel world. Like this and Watchmen are, are pretty big graphic novels. Um, I remember actually reading it because I was getting into The Walking Dead and somebody told me like, well, if you're reading graphic novels, you have to read these two, like Watchmen and V for Vendetta. Like, how could you not? And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like, it's a little intense, guys, <laughs> yeah. but okay. Um, so there's lots of themes explored in this novel. Um, the big ones are bigotry, corruption, and freedom versus anarchy. Um, personally, the most interesting theme, I think, that was explored in this graphic novel is actually the freedom versus anarchy dilemma. Um, but I'm going to just give a little brief synopsis first. So for those of you who, you who aren't aware, who haven't seen um, the movie, because it was also made into a movie, mm-hmm. um, or read um, the graphic novel, uh, V for Vendetta is a story that takes place in a fictionalized London in 1997. This version of London and the world has gone through nuclear warfare, which eventually led to a corrupt fascist government taking over Britain. Um, it mainly follows two characters, Evie and V. And it's just the letter V, as V for Vendetta. Uh, Evie Hammond is a 16-year-old girl who is pushed to desperate me- measures in this dystopian society in order to make money. V is our main protagonist. He is an ar- anarchist revolutionary who dons a Guy Fox mask. Um, mainly the story follows V as he takes it upon himself to theatrically and elaborately stage a revolutionist campaign. 
Um, Evie follows V through the through this journey as he explains to her his ideas on revolution, anarchy, and true freedom. So I read this novel uh, probably about ten years ago, um, and it's kind of hard not to love. Um, in part, it just has a really like beautifully dark aesthetic and gruesome artwork that just fit the overall like theme of the graphic novel, which is one of my favorite things about graphic novels and manga in general is just how the artwork is so complementary or I guess in good ones are very complementary to the themes and the even the writing style and one of the reasons it stuck with me over the years though is because of the central themes which regardless of whether or not you agree with the protagonist's measures and methods force you to consider how you truly rate common terms like truth freedom and knowledge so the freedom versus anarchy debate debate is beautifully carried out through the course of this work um, Alan Moore, he's actually a self-described anarchist himself, oh. of course. He's actually a very oh. intense-looking person. Like, is he? <laughs> yeah, I actually, if you're listening to this and you've never seen a picture of Alan Moore, just Google it, because it's he looks like an anarchist. Can I, can I Google it right yeah, now? Yeah, go for it. Alan I, Moore? We'll capture your... Yeah. Alan Moore v. Vendetta. I, I'm going to, like, love to see your reaction here. Uh, oh, is that, is that him? Yeah. Whoa. That's a beard. <laughs> yeah, he hair. is <laughs> he is like a fully intense person. I've talked to people and like been to lectures uh, with people who have met bad. him. Yeah. And apparently he's just like super like super intense to be around, which makes sense. Like his his books and novels are very intense. Like Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um it's a fabulous photo though. Love it. It's a great photo. Yeah, definitely, definitely Google it if you've never seen him. Uh, so he raises a number of questions about freedom and what it truly looks like and what the cost associated with freedom is. Uh, so the comics argue that while many people think of freedom as something that they can be free to do, true freedom may actually require shedding the parts that constrain us. So a sort of freedom from certain oppressors rather than a freedom towards certain actions is a very central theme throughout the book. So I'm not free... Freedom isn't looking like I can freely do this. It is I am free from these concepts. I'm free from these oppressors. I'm free from these um, dictators, like people, government, all this stuff. Um, And the height of this thematic debate takes place well into the graphic novel when V successfully shuts down the government for three days. And as a result, violent, violent riots begin to break out across um, specifically London, but kind of it's implied across all Britain. Um, Evie questions V on why he would want such anarchy, and he explains that anarchy is anarchy means without leaders and not without order. And so this is one of the pivotal points in the novel that addresses the core theme that anarchy is freedom, but it is freedom that takes conscious effort to maintain. So V is focused on fighting every oppression, even those that exist in our minds. Um, And that doesn't come at no cost. And freedom with no cost just looks like riots and violence and crime. So it's a really interesting um, discourse. And I mean, if you're interested in darker themes and very, very gray characters who are fighting 
for technically the good of humanity, but it might not always feel like that. Uh, definitely a great read if you've never if you've never picked it up. Oh, that does sound super interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, kind of branching off the, <laughs> the gray characters who you know they think they're. It's like doing something bad for the greater good. Well, I guess yeah. yeah. It's all interpretive. Um, I would say War Cross by Marie Lou. Okay. Um, which is like a kind of sci-fi sort of book. Mm-hmm. Actually, you gave it to me as a birthday gift. I did, which is funny because I I've, I didn't actually read it. I I did research into what people were saying about it, and I um. I, I we've talked about this recently, so I feel like I need to borrow it now. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 good. I really like it. Um, so basically, the novel focuses on eighteen year old Emma Kachen, who after losing her father and being expelled from high school, turns to Warcross to escape from her hardships. Um, and Warcross is just like it's like virtual reality game. Mm-hmm. You have to have like these glasses to like play it. Um, yeah. Anyways, let's continue. <laughs> to make a living, she becomes a bounty hunter, an individual who tracks down perpetrators of crimes related to war cross, such as gambling. Um, and during an internationally televised war cross match, Emika manages to glitch into the middle of the action, which establishes her as a household name afterwards. So as a result, the creator of the game, Hideo Tanaka, invites her to Tokyo for a job offer. As Emika accepts the job offer, she becomes entangled in a struggle between a hacker known as Zero and Hideo, which puts the future of Warcross at stake. Um, So some of the themes that were explored in this book is kind of that, well, a line between reality and fantasy, Mm -hmm. Warcross being the fantasy world, and then also privacy of digital age and the ethics of technology as a whole. Um, So one of the characters in the book is using technology for the greater good, by controlling people with the technology. So I thought that was super interesting because we are kind of getting into that day and age mm-hmm. where techno- technology is, well, look at the metaverse and yeah. like all this stuff where you can like, everything is in a virtual reality. Yeah. So, um, and then we're even talking about like microchips and people's brains and like curing ailments with it, like all of this stuff. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say ailments, but just like things that, I don't know, I don't think personally should be controlled by technology, but that's the world we're heading into. It's, it's such an interesting debate. Um, and I know you have more notes here that you want to talk about with Warcross, but um, this is also on my list um, to talk about. So I'm just going to kind of jump in. Mm-hmm. A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor by Hank Green actually discusses this at length. Um, and I'll get more into the synopsis on that book, but... There is a large discussion in that novel. Um, basically, a new technology arises and people become very obsessed with it. And the ramifications of it are very interesting because anyone who's used the technology is basically so addicted to it that they can't see straight for what it is. Oh. And they can't really criticize it anymore because they're actually, they, they love it so much. Mm-hmm. And everyone on the outside is like, this is so fucking harmful. Mm-hmm. And it is so interesting to think of that in our society today of how quickly that becomes overridden. And are we actually looking at the full ramifications about what we're doing? Or are we only considering what the potential benefits could be and not considering the consequences? It's a it's a great topic. And I love the books that begin to explore that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I got 
out of war cross as well um so like the person who without trying to get spoilers like <laughs> <laughs> basically they're thinking that with this technology they can stop people from doing something bad before it before it happens so right. for example one of the examples in the book was someone wanted to rob a bank and basically you can see them with the internal struggle of them like being like forced to not rob the bank so is it ethically okay to control someone to not do something that, that could harmful harmful to yeah. society so yeah that was a really interesting i like book. i like that a lot so i'm gonna i was gonna jump into a different book but i am gonna talk about a beautiful uh, oh my goodness <laughs> a beautifully foolish endeavor by hank green I mentioned that before when I finished it. I, I did really enjoy this book. Um, I'm a big fan of the Green Brothers, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole other topic for a different day. Um, but along with the idea of um, the ethics of technology and um, that sort of conversation that we we're just having, um, he also explores a couple of other themes, including what is life's purpose, existentialism, how to find meaning in life, and attention, intention versus effect. Um, but for those of you who don't know, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor is a sequel. We're talking about a lot of sequels today. Yeah. <laughs> um, to an absolutely remarkable thing. If you haven't read the first book and you are interested in reading it, I uh, this synopsis will do a little bit of spoilers. I'm not going to spoil too much because I don't want to, but um, just kind of naturally going to happen here. Uh, so it begins uh, right where the first book ended. This is your last chance to skip ahead if you'd like to avoid some spoilers. Um, So at the end of the first book, the Carls have disappeared pretty much instantly, and it seems that our main character, April, has perished with them. Um, The story splits its narration through several main characters, including Andy, Maya, Miranda, and uh, and this is a spoiler, and I'm so sorry, Megan, but April herself. Um, We also do hear from Carl. Oh, which is really interesting, who returns in a very, very non-traditional fashion, which I thought was just very fun. Uh, we follow these characters as they slowly unravel what happened to April, while, why the curls have come and why they have returned, and as they uncover the truth about a new piece of technology that has gripped the world's interest. I don't want to spoil too much here, as I've said, um, but Hank Green plays into several themes. Um, the one I, I do want to talk about is the, the ramifications of technology. And um, so essentially the technology that has been created is a virtual reality space um, that allows you to actually upload specific experiences and people can actually physically feel how you felt during that experience. So a lot of people who use the technology begin to argue that it has great ramifications for things like Um, potentially combating well even just learning like new languages so people are using it to um, they will go into the experience of somebody who speaks a different language and because they actually are being put in their body like almost feel like they're actually living that moment they're understanding the language in a way that a native speaker would rather than learning a whole new language so it's kind of a way of like absorbing your own experience new experiences super cool and so a lot of people begin to posit in the novel that maybe this could be used to combat big things like racism and inequality and sexism because you could have people actually experience what it's like to be a woman or a black woman or any sort of thing and actually one of the characters who is a black woman says 
technology is not the reason why people haven't understood this. It's because they won't do the work. Right. And I thought that was super interesting. Like the idea that the intention is not ever going to match up with the actual ramifications of what happens. The consequences are never going to be equal to the intention and the intention might be good, but it's not going to be necessarily used to create good. Yeah. And her argument becomes that you, if people wanted to learn, they've always had the opportunity to, but they have to do the work and they likely won't want to do the work. So even going out to seek these new experiences are things that they're not going to want to do. It was really interesting conversation. That is interesting. When I think even now, like technology has made things so easy to like get hold of information, get a hold of like all these concepts, even like seeing arguments on the internet of like one side or the other, it's easy for someone to read it and be like, oh yeah, I agree with that because that's just what I know. But it's like, are are you actually challenging these ideas that you've had? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a really interesting conversation and to take it in a much lighter sense, but a very, still a very serious sense. I saw a TikTok the other day that was like, it's not that you aren't they did it in a very fun way and I if I find the TikTok again I will actually like totally post it because I think the creator should get credit here but I watch a lot of TikToks I don't remember exactly (laughs) who posted it but it was all about how if you're just seeing and it was about book talk and it was if you're just seeing the same books over and over and over again it's not that book talk is only talking about those books it's that you're not following enough diverse creators Mm -hmm. and I thought that was really interesting because Yeah, you have to make the effort to make your interests more diverse. It's not just going to happen because you're automatically going to gravitate towards what you know. So you have to make an effort to go out of your lane and to get new experiences and to also be silent while getting those new experiences to absorb them, which I thought was really interesting. And it's a whole topic that I think is actually really well. It is very interesting because it's like that's how I feel like you know, I follow a lot of young adult authors and accounts and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so I'm like, oh, I know all these new releases and all these books coming out yeah. that look so interesting. And then I'm telling myself, hey, I want to try new genres. And I'm like, where do I start? Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not exposing myself to what's yeah. out there. And you have to start actually doing the work and it's mm-hmm. hard work. Um, Kind of brings us back to the V for Vendetta discussion. Like the idea that like, yeah, like you can have this freedom, but it's going to come at a cost. Like you're going to have to do the work to get there. It's not just going to be like, oh, we eliminate all these things and you're going to be free. No, you have to mm-hmm. do the internal battle as well. Um, alongside that, um, some other themes that I've mentioned um, is just the exploration of like ex- existentialism and finding life's meaning. And I think he does this really well. It's something that they actually discuss a lot on their YouTube channel um, as well is just like finding meaning in life, which it's really nice sometimes when you're feeling a little down about life yeah. or you think about, you know, um, you know, just the realities of living in the world that we live in. Um, so he explores the idea of why we live and what we live for so beautifully. Um, and um, lots of these are sourced from various quotes that I actually picked out through the book. So I'm just going to read out a couple and hopefully that'll make you interested in this novel. Mm-hmm. Um, um the first quote is, uh, because we fe- when we feel like none of the rooms we are in matter, that's when we're really lost. Um, people become who we need them to be. Uh, you are a story that you tell yourself, and even if it's not always accurate, it is who you are. Um, 
my personal favorite is I just wanted to feel important. I didn't want to like be important. And the last one is um, you will always struggle to feel productive until you accept that your own joy can be something you produce. Oh, I like that. One. Yeah. So it's a very like little hopeful novel, which I I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I I think it's got some very interesting themes in it. Yeah, I like that. Well, now I can't wait to read it, even though I've been saying that forever. <laughs> um, well, yeah, those themes kind of go into my next one. How convenient! How convenient! You would think that there's you know only certain themes in books. It's like. <laughs> There's different ways to explore them or something. Anyways, <laughs> um, so yeah, my next one is The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. Oh, yes, yes. Which I read at the beginning of this year. So yeah. I've mentioned it a couple of times, but I never actually like talked about it in length. And I, I don't even think I did a review on it. My bad. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a graphic novel. It's meant for all ages. It definitely has more of like a younger kind of reader vibe to it. So obviously like you can read it to your kids and stuff like that but I personally really enjoyed it mm-hmm. um so it follows the journey of a boy who meets a mole then a fox then finally a horse <laughs> imagine <laughs> that <thought. laughs> um together they find acceptance thankfulness self-love admitting one's weaknesses kindness and the meaning of home so obviously there's multiple themes explored in this book um I found it very relaxing to read and I enjoyed that it was like a, a positive and like hopeful book mm-hmm. in a time when like the world really needs it so I believe it was released just before the pandemic um or just when it started I'm not 100 sure on the timeline but it, it was a good it's a good thing to like get your mind off of what's going on um some of the reviews thought it was almost like too sweet of a book right so it's like to the point where you're like okay stop preaching to me about you know, how beautiful things can be if you just, like, let it go or whatever kind of attitude. Um, But for, like, me, I got just, like, you know, remind myself of the small things that make my life full Mm -hmm. and good. And, like, I can't change a pandemic by myself. So, you know, like, just focus on things that make my life positive. So I would definitely recommend this book for, like, people who are you know, like you're going through, you're just going through it and you just need a break. Yeah. Um. So some of the, my favorite themes in it was um, don't let fear get in the way of your dreams and living your life. Um. So basically the boy asks like, what is that over there? And it's the wild and said the mole, don't fear it. So, you know, like you might be afraid of stuff you don't know. Right. But don't let that stop you kind of a thing. So, um, yeah, it's just like telling you, like, just just be positive. You can do it. It's fine. Um, also, the artwork is absolutely beautiful in here, which I got to mention because I haven't mentioned that yet. Uh, another theme was be kind to yourself. You are enough. I love it. Very positive. Um, so, you know, one of the quotes, often the hardest person to forgive is yourself. Mm. So, you know, it's just tell, reminding you to do that. The meaning of home is another theme. And basically saying, like, it's not necessarily a place that you belong, but, like, who you're with or who's around you or wherever you are in that moment. And then just asking for help is not a weakness, which I thought was kind of, like, the bigger picture of this whole novel. Uh, Sorry, graphic novel. Um, 
So it could be, it's okay to lean on others, whether it's like your significant other, friend, outside group, or your faith. Asking for help is not a sign of, or sorry, asking for help is a sign <laughs> of inner strength. Um, <laughs> it is not a sign. Yes, it's not a sign. Um, so it's like the sooner you ask for help, the sooner your problems can be resolved. So um, one of the most like probably um, famous quotes in the book that a lot of places have like put on walls and whatever mm-hmm. all this stuff is what is the bravest thing you've ever said asked the boy help said the horse so just like very That's simple cute. yeah, yeah. it's cute simple it's easy to get through I feel like it's a book I would give to someone like like a get well book or something like yeah, that just, going through a little bit of a hard time yeah actually exactly and it's like obviously if you don't like it because it's too positive then that's fine maybe you're not in that mental space to read it but I feel like everyone can get something out of it I mean I think that's fair to like as a potential critique but especially if it's made for you know younger audiences and stuff like that is something that like first we have to understand that we have a certain amount of control over like how we look at things mm-hmm. before we start grappling with the concepts that like sometimes that's not always enough to incite the change that we need and we need action but like we have to first know how to look at it to not you know just become completely devastated yeah so nobody's gonna be able to do anything in that state either right it is kind of like a passing through moment and I, I love I love the idea of giving it to someone who needs a little bit of that. And obviously it's more complicated than that. Like we all know that, but um, sometimes it's nice to be reminded that there are things that we can control. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's just, it's a beautiful book to have as well. So I love that. that. I love that. I might have to borrow that one too. You can just leave all your books here okay. actually. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm going to switch gears here. This one does not connect to the nice little themes that you were talking That's about. That's all right. Um, so <laughs> I wanted to talk about Iron Widow by Jiren Zhao. Um, so I've talked a lot about Iron Widow, but I don't think I've talked in depth a lot about Iron Widow, to be fair. So I wanted to take the chance to maybe do a little bit of a deeper dive, especially into some of the, the themes that Jiren Zhao has explored in their debut novel. I think it's actually kind of a tremendous feat. So some of the things that I <laughs> took away from this book were um, the focus on unfair gender roles. Um, I called it the female revenge tour, which I just, I like that terminology because <laughs> that feels like very that. accurate. Yeah. Um, um, just a focus on female anger. And then there was a focus, um, which I'm very excited to have it explored more <laughs> in the follow-up, but on, on colonization. Um, so I'm not going to get into that one because that's a little spoilery. Yeah. Um, but Iron Widow, for those of you who are unaware, is a science fiction novel that takes place in a future society in which mecha aliens threaten humanity's survival. To fight these aliens, humans fight in giant uh, transformable robots called chrysalises. Uh, chrysalises work by tapping into the spirit energy of their male pilots. Specifically, um, they actually tend to use the women's energy to... Um, at the heat of the battle, and that generally kills them if the battle is intense enough. Um, It doesn't always kill them, but uh, the women are not expected to last too many battles, as these pilot concubines, as they're called. Um, This is kind of just generally accepted throughout society that, you know, there there must be this sacrifice, and this is what um, this battle has cost humanity, and it's... um, 
Yeah, it's a very misogynistic. Yeah. Um, in the society, we follow our protagonist, Wu Zetian, which I apologize if I'm saying that incorrectly, um, but she signs up to become a pilot concubine in order to enact revenge for the death of her older sister. Um, quite quickly in this novel, she's able to carry out her revenge and does so by taking over the chrysalis mid-flight and killing the male pilot instead of being sacrificed herself. After this incident, she is labeled a Iron Widow, which is a feared type of concubine who can actually overtake the man in the uh, chrysalis. Um, she is then paired up with somebody whose energy they don't believe she will be able to match, um, kind of given up as a sacrifice. She obviously doesn't die in that situation, <laughs> but it is very interesting. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to spoil too much about where that kind of goes, but um, she does end up battling quite literally and uh, a little bit figuratively, misogyny, sexism, corruption, and colonialism. Uh, the themes I loved most in this novel, though, was the unapologetic female anger and revenge. Um, throughout multiple points in this novel, our protagonist is able to act and react to circumstances with absolute rage, um, which is quite uncommon in many re media representations. Uh, she's frequently asked by other characters to take high roads and be the bigger person in situations where she could harm, hurt, or act, enact revenge upon her oppressors. Um, and it's interesting how she reacts because she doesn't always immediately take the road of the anger. She does actually listen at some points. <laughs> but the way that the consequences for being polite, considerate, and forgiving is represented in the novel is actually beautifully done. And feels a little bit like real life sometimes. Like, you can't always be polite. You can't yeah. always be nice. Mm -hmm. You can't always be the bigger person. Um, and as harsh and severe as some of her actions are, I know you have calm with a couple of them. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed reading about the female rage that didn't revolve around pushing that anger back down or overcoming it. Which I think is an often the theme in these novels that totally. show showcase female rage. Mm -hmm. I think as women, we're often told that this rage is not useful and even that it can prevent change from taking place. And yet, Zhang Zhao showcases that sometimes our rage is our strongest weapon in fighting misogynistic societies. And even further than that, it is a necessary weapon to um, take control of. Yeah. I, 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 I love this, this novel. I specifically love it because I've been looking for novels about female rage um, for a while. Mm -hmm. And every novel that I've ever picked up that has promised it has failed to actually deliver it. Um, I actually picked up a um, work of short stories. I have it on the shelf behind you. Um, it's that pink one. The pink one. And I do not forgive you. And I do not forgive you. Amber Spark. Okay. So I picked up a collection of short stories, and I do not forgive you by Amber Sparks, and uh, that was promised to be like fairy tales with women reacting in rage instead of just kind of going along with it. And um, like for me, it was really disappointing because it didn't deliver on that rage at all. It was just kind of like unconventional fairy tales instead. There was nothing wrong with them. It's just not what I was like promised in the yeah. description. Yeah. Um. And I think it's really interesting that this is the first novel that I've read where I can actually say there was unapologetic 
female rage. Like, like I'm just so proud of Jiren J. Zhao for going there in their first novel. Um, and it makes me very excited to read, read their next one. Their next ones. And yeah, like I totally agree with like a lot of novels that are like this, you know, where the woman gets mad and they're the like that's what they're trying to project in their book. And then it comes out as like them having to be calm. Yeah. To like, yeah, have change and control a room and all this stuff. And if they're not, then they're labeled as like, even in just the real world as women, it's like you're labeled as this bitch when you like yeah. can't get angry and you can't say no. And it's just like, we're allowed to say no. And we're allowed to like well, disagree with people. Even... So I find this really interesting. So I, I love The Hunger Games mm-hmm. as a trilogy. I think it was really well done. But there's something about Katniss being this, like, unconventional, you know, she's, like, very, like, badass female. But even she is not allowed to react with anger mm-hmm. at any point. She has to react as though she's in love. She has to do all these very, like very feminine things in order to be seen and heard in the society. Even how she begins this war is by saying that she's going to die to protect PETA. And that is like this female sacrifice Mm -hmm. instead of this like pure female rage, which you only ever really see in like maybe Joanne, Joanne, I believe her name is, uh, one of the um, previous tributes. Um, There's an audio going around on TikTok right now and it's like, I'm pissed off, like, yeah. and she says that at one point, and she's very angry, but even she is being, has to weaponize her femininity through very, like, sexualized clothing, mm-hmm. and so I just thought it was freaking phenomenal that there were so many points where there was just pure female rage, and, like, nothing else, like, there were points where she had to weaponize certain, um, certain parts of her sexuality or she had to act like kind of the submissive wife or something like that. But then there were other points where there, she was like, actually just fuck you. Yeah. And I think that's what was satisfying about that book was like you read a book and they're like angry and they're mad and you want them to do something about it and they never end up doing it. But in this, in the Iron Widow, she like does it. She does it. Yes. And and even then you're like, whoa, I didn't actually think Think you were going to do quite that much. Or like, you went real far, girl. Like, it felt good. Like, it was like, yeah. Yeah. Like, why not? Why not? not? These people aren't, like, you've given them chances. Like, Mm -hmm. this is how I thought it was phenomenal. If you haven't read it, um, I I would highly recommend. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It is a good book. So lots of. A lot of people are highly recommending it. So. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go, I mean, again, it's not 100% related to your theme, <laughs> but uh, I read a nonfiction called From the Ashes, okay. My Story of Being Métis, Homeless, and Finding My Way by Jesse Thistle, mm-hmm. who is a Canadian author. He is of Métis Cree heritage. And I think that this book, well, it came at a time and you know, Canada's history where we're finding out all these um, like indigenous children graves at all these residential schools. So Mm -hmm. if you don't know history of Canada, like I'm not going to go too much into it because I'm definitely not the person to educate someone on that. (laughs) Me, myself as a white woman um, who has never had to deal with a lot of obstacles that indigenous people have had in Canada. 
So it came out during a time when like a lot of these um, children were becoming discovered. And so a lot of people read it. And I think it was a very, very important book to read if you need to just understand why people are angry and like I mean obviously it's a like horrible thing generally but a lot of people just don't understand the depths of generational trauma and stuff that are within the indigenous community mm-hmm. um so the summary of the book is um, abandoned by his parents as a toddler Jesse Thistle briefly found himself in the foster care system with his two brothers cut off from all they had known Uh, Eventually, children landed in the home of their paternal grandparents, whose tough love attitudes quickly resulted in conflicts. Throughout it all, the ghost of Jesse's drug-addicted father haunted the halls of the house in the memories of every family member. Struggling struggling with all that had happened, Jesse succumbed to a self-destructive cycle of drug and alcohol addiction and petty crime, spending more than a decade on, on and off the streets, often homeless. Finally, he realized he would die unless he turned his life around. Uh, So multiple themes explored, injustice, inequality, resilience, generational trauma, colonialism, and systemic biases of prejudice, racism, and marginalization, childhood abandonment, and then finding love for for yourself. Um, There's some quotes and scenes that resonated with me reading it and just helping me understand why people have addictions all of this stuff so um so one quote is I remember when I was 15 feeling the weight of that oppression but not knowing what it was I felt resentful almost hateful I started to take crack cocaine to take the edge off I do see a lot of connectivity between my story and those of others with my background yeah so it is just like a systemic thing yeah like he was a toddler when he noticed his dad was taking drugs yeah this was something that was in his life and it's how he coped with a lot of the oppression that he had yeah and he's never really known what like true love was yeah unconditional love and those who loved him had either left him or he felt like they left him behind yeah so yeah like it is a tougher read yeah. Even the author said himself that a lot of the scenes in the book um, were difficult to write. So he either wouldn't write it in the detail that he could have yeah. or he like it was a shorter scene because that's all he could get through because it's his life. Yeah. He's seen some traumatic stuff, done some 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 things, you know. Yeah. Um, There's also a theme of resilience. So. Whatever the reason, I came to the realization that I'd earned my way here and that I had the right to chase my dreams, that even I deserved a second chance. Mm. Basically saying, no matter what you've been through in life, you can still, you know, change your life, I guess, would be the word. Um, He's very good at showing um, the intersectionality of injustice and inequity that is deeply rooted in the systemic oppression of historical and modern day practices. That continues to plague Indigenous people. So, yeah, it's a good first-hand account on the struggles of Indigenous people in Canada and how the systems in place have failed them generation after generation. But it's also a story of self-love and perseverance. So it's kind of a mix of the two. And I think that people who... What's the word? Like, understand yeah. what Indigenous people are going through should read that. Like, it's a good place to start. 
Yeah. And I know for me, like, I personally want to educate myself more on the mm-hmm. history of Indigenous people. And there are, like, free courses out there. Like, I know U of A is offering one. Mm-hmm. So if anyone else is interested in it, just sign up. Yeah. There's lots um, of those books coming out. And the authors, I've read quite a few interviews with some of the authors. And they all kind of tend to resonate that same idea of, like, it's very hard to actually write. Um, I definitely wouldn't approach these books with any sort of, like, like, levity at all. Like, this is a very hard thing for a lot of people to talk about, and I, mm-hmm. I think it's very, um, I, none of the words I have come short, come, like, they all fall short of what I think of these people who are able to bring this up in order to educate other people, and it's a shame that they have to do it, but, like, uh, yeah. also, like, making the effort to appreciate what they've done, I think is re- they have done is really important as well. It reminds me, um, this is different, obviously, but um, Angie Thomas and her, um, the two books I've read by her, The, the Hate You Give and On the Come Up, um, which talk about um, systemic racism, specifically in the United States. It exists everywhere, and Canada is not um, absolved of that, um, for sure. Yeah. But I'm just talking about how people get um, pulled into um, even just crime or into situations that make them look, quote unquote, shady Mm -hmm. um, in order to and then getting abused by the police and being victims of police brutality and, and straight up murder is like chilling. And if you are unaware of these circumstances, that's also a really great place I found to start. Yeah that conversation um and like incredible writing like just such beautiful writing and like the amount of effort I can imagine it takes to go in explaining this for people who yeah. wouldn't necessarily have that understanding is is it's quite a fucking feat like yeah. good for you yeah yeah and you explain it way better than I did <laughs> and all of my rambling I just did but that's exactly how I felt with with Jesse Thistle's uh, life and how he, you know, yeah. he put this into the world for, he didn't have to. He didn't have to. He didn't have to do it, but he did it. And a lot of people, it opened a lot of people's eyes. And yeah. I think that's and like, I think this is, and this is not to say that we shouldn't read these types of books either, but like, this is a great place to also say, like, if you've been reading these kinds of books, I also make a point <laughs> To try and support Indigenous authors, Black authors mm-hmm. who are not writing about trauma. It's just a really important thing to point out as well because when you aren't coming from that place of um, understanding the systemic oppression, uh, it's easy to get lost in like, oh, I'm going to read about all this trauma. But like also there's beautiful stories that have nothing to do with trauma that you should be 100%. also going out of your way because it is being written from a different perspective. And that is how you diversify. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know your bookshelf and your mind and all that good stuff. Yeah, so yeah, like both those sure. things are important. We're running out of time here. Um, and after those books, I actually don't really want to talk about this one quite as much. Okay. But I'm just gonna mention really quick two others that I had on my list. Um, so Valette by Charlotte Bronte. I'm not gonna talk about um this in depth. This does have explore the ideas of uh depression, isolation, boredom, and female um repression. 
Uh, I think it's a really great read if you want to read into the psychology of um, all of those things. Uh, I think Bronte did a great job with this, and I've said it before uh, that I really think this novel represents how Bronte saw the world she lived in rather than the world she wished she lived in, which I find I see more in Jane Eyre. Mm -hmm. um, and then We All Love the Beautiful Girls by Joan Pruel. I might be pronouncing that last name wrong. It has an X in there. I have no oh. idea where I'm supposed <laughs> to say that. Um, so this is actually a book that takes place in Quebec, which is really, oh. really interesting. It uh, explores the themes of betrayal, deception, ignorance, and anxiety, and uh, as well as trauma mm -hmm. and the the kind of consequences of very, very catastrophic events. Uh, it was a very, very good read, and it has a beautiful cover. So, you know, both sides of the coin. Yes. <laughs> yes. Love me a good cover. Um, well, do I have time to quickly mention my last yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. All right. The last one was I Have Lost My Way by Gail Foreman. And when we were talking about it, and I was mentioning to you, you were like, oh, you don't really seem like you want to talk about that one. And, like, I was kind of on the fence about talking about it. But the more I think about it, the more I think this book I related the most to theme-wise. Okay. Um, it follows the life of three young adults who randomly meet up and end up spending the day together. And they develop a connection that helps them understand their grief and loss within their own life and how helping others can actually help their own um, things they're going through. So the themes explored include loneliness, loneliness and grief and finding someone to share your struggles with. So... It basically read this if you're like feeling alone and you're just not sure how to reach out for help and that was the whole point is that um to be the holder of other people's loss is to be the keeper of their love and to share your loss with people is another way of giving your love and I know for me personally like I've had my own grief in my life as you know yeah and I think like one thing that helped me through it was talking to other people who either experienced something similar or going through grief as well and just like talking it out yeah talking it out and just normalizing it and yeah. not you know like I could have easily just like done my own thing I could have been like no one else is going through this they don't understand I don't want to talk to them like nothing's gonna be the same yeah anymore and but when I was talking to others about it and when they asked me questions like I wanted people to ask me questions about my grief so I don't know, for those who don't know, like, I lost my mom when I was 21. So it was rough. And when you're 21, like, you don't expect to lose your mom. But when I was talking to other people who've gone through similar stuff, I was like, I love that we're normalizing grief. And it's okay to be sad. And it's okay to, like, go through all these emotions yeah. and everything like that. And to cry and to be mad. And, yeah, like, I just realized that this book did a good job of real, you know, you, it's okay to be sad and angry with other people yeah it, it's okay and yeah well you, you know this about me too I when I was um I believe like 23 24 I, I lost a very close friend of mine mm -hmm. which was very shocking like it's also one of those things where you're not expecting to lose a friend that young like mm -hmm. you know you hear about your parents losing friends or something and you're like that's you know like you're older and all yeah. this stuff and you justify it but like when it happens like and I, I like the way you said that, like, you wanted people to ask you questions about it because you wanted to be able to talk about it. And I remember that of, like, fuck, I just want somebody to, like, actually listen to me not be okay. Mm -hmm. 
and Mm -hmm. like have that and I hate this saying, I hate it so much that it's okay to not be okay. I fucking hate it. Yeah. But. So cheesy. Like, but it's, it's true. But in that moment, like, you want it to just be normal, I think is a better word. Because it's not okay. It's not, you don't feel okay. So it's not okay to not be okay. Like, that doesn't mm-hmm. feel okay. But I want it to be normal. Mm-hmm. I want that to be okay that, like, I'm not having a great day. Yeah. And I can't stop thinking about this grief that I have Mm -hmm. and this grief feels huge and insurmountable and it feels worse when you have to shove it back down yeah oh totally and I think that for me when I was like feeling the worst about my grief was when I felt like I had to hide it from people because I didn't want them to be uncomfortable yeah not that like like people in my life were amazing like during that time and still are but it's just like I just don't want to make them uncomfortable yeah but when they were like oh so like how are you doing or like let's talk about good times that you had with your mom or whatever like that. I was like, oh yeah, like let's do this. And if I tear up, I tear up. And if, as long as you're fine with it, then I'm fine with it. Yeah. It makes me feel better. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I think that that's important. I, I love reading books that make that grief. I don't want to say smaller, but more manageable. Like you can hold on to it. They -hmm. give you like a line or like a little, little semblance of hope to like actually get you through that tough time instead of it just being like well of course you're not okay like you're not going to be okay Mm -hmm. but like and I think that yeah like some people who are uncomfortable with grief they'll do that thing of like oh you're gonna be okay like it's gonna like time time what's the what's the saying time eases time heals all wounds yeah exactly (laughs) and like I know they're trying to help. Yeah. But it just compounds your grief more. I think you feel like you're doing something wrong if you're still grieving. I think the other, and I wrote a short story about this that I still stand by is like one of some of my best writing. But um, the thing that pissed me off the most when I was in the middle of grief was the the bright side shit. Oh, yeah. You know, like, let's let's think about the, like, happy memories or, like, let's... And it's not that I didn't want to think about the happy memories. And I'm sure you felt Mm -hmm. very similar. I know, like, your loss was not really comparable to mine. And that's what I'm trying to do. But, like, that, like, feeling of, like, yeah, I don't mind thinking about the happy memories. But the happy memories are going to make me sad. Mm -hmm. And so that, like... It's not really a fucking bright side. It's never going to be a bright side. I lost someone and I will never see them again. And that is huge. That is a gaping hole. And to fix it with this like set of words that well, the bright side, like, no, absolutely not. I am not doing that. Yeah. So when I think like, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember you like calling me because you were in Toronto at the time. Yeah. And I just remember being like, it's okay to be sad. Like, just cry. Don't sleep. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, to me, like, talking to you about it was like, I was like, like, someone is grieving and I feel like maybe I can help them through it. Because I, this is like what I wish people would say to me or would have said to me. So, yeah, I don't don't know. And it, it does. It like, it shifts your perspective. Like, I've never looked at it the same way again. Mm hmm. Um, and I remember that you being like, just be fucking sad, man. Like, it's sad. This is not a, not a sad thing. Like, this sucks. Yeah. Like, it's this fucking sucks. And that, yeah. and I love books that, and like stories that make that okay. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, that divulged completely. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good book. It's a good book. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do love that. I do want to talk really quickly, um, just to move away from all of that very suddenly. Um, <laughs> a little sad. It was a little sad. Little sad there. note. We're gonna end on a happier one here. So we do need to draw our next topic, but I do want to talk about what books we're planning to read next. So I've actually already started one. Um, mostly because I guilt started it last night <laughs> so I could talk about it today. Yeah. Um, Zadie Smith's uh, Grand Union. So it's a collection of short stories. I read one last night. It was very like a very short story. It was, I'm still thinking about it. So I'm very excited for the rest of the book. So I've been requested very heavily to read uh, The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. So I that one's pretty close up on my list um, as well. As I really feel like I need to read the um, Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. Because uh, that one's been on my shelf for a while. I have a signed yes. copy and I'm just, I just stare at it every once in a while and feel guilty. <laughs> like, stop looking at me, Stop John looking Green. at me. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, those look sound interesting. I'm going to know how yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, I want to start reading Anatomy, A Love Story by Dana Schwartz. I was between that one and the Poppy War mm-hmm. originally. And then I started the Poppy War. Poppy War ended up being a series, trying to finish the series as well. The Burning God is the third book. I'm on mm-hmm. that. Um, I kind of just need a little break from that series right now because it is like more... A little intense. A little intense. So I will finish that. Don't know when. But I do want to get into that book, Anatomy, sorry. And, you know, that's about it. I I don't have high hopes. Well, you know what? You (laughs) exceeded my expectations um, because, you know, we talk about you getting through one book and me getting through like three and then we reversed roles. So this is true. And that could happen again. Let's do it again. Yeah. All right. uh, Let's draw our next topic. Oh, interesting. Okay. A book series you hated at first, but are glad that you finished. All right. I'm going to have to dig in my past. <laughs> it's been a while. Oh, my goodness. I feel like I'm going to shamefully discover a whole bunch of series that I've not finished. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I know, I know I've read a lot of series because that was my thing. Like, I would hate a book. And I'm like, no, nah, I already started the series. I got to finish the series. So. All right. We might Let's have to expand fun. this into ones maybe we thought we were going to like and hate it at the end as well. I don't know. Um, so we'll see what we come up with. Let's figure it out. Um, otherwise, do you have any kind of final thoughts for anyone listening? No, I don't think so. Great. Well, perfect. So that brings us to the end of today's podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, thank you so much. Um, please consider leaving a review that really helps get our podcast into new listeners ears. Um, otherwise, if you're looking for more The Book Jar podcast content, you can follow us on Instagram at the Book Jar Pod um just on instagram there and other than that we will see you next week your next podcast next, not next yeah. week when it, well it's a bi-weekly podcast it, that is true in two weeks two okay. weeks in the next two weeks this is a great and smooth ending i'm sure you're glad you've listened to this <laughs> all right bye bye